opportunity for playing today. Your Bible's open. Let's go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Your Bible's open to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll uh, get to that in just a few minutes. You know, Walter, I was thinking about... Uh, where, where did Walter go? Hey, Walter, how you doing? Hey, um, you know, I was thinking, I bet you, from being sick... Well, this is more than sick. I don't know if Allison's ever missed a Sunday from illness or sickness. It's, okay, it's been very few. I was thinking about that, and this is a doozy. So, so anyway, um, 20... 21 years. How long? 21 years. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? 20 years. 21 years. That's awesome. I, uh, when I was a, a young man, I uh, went to Bible college, and then my uh, family, my mom and dad divorced. They had been separated off and on for a while, but they divorced while I was off at Bible college. and So I came home for the summer and decided that after the summer I wasn't going to go back to Texas and go to, uh, go to school. So I went to Jack State uh, up for a year or two. It didn't matter. You don't care about that. But when I, was work, when I was going to school at Jack State, my mom was the accountant and office manager at a company called... Dixie Clay Company, that this clay company is not far from the campus of Jacksonville State. So obviously I could go there and work and then go to school. It was pretty convenient. Except that of all the jobs I've ever had, this was the hardest job. Matter of fact, this is one of the hardest jobs I've ever known of. And so let me explain to you what I had to do. Well, I got to drive, number one, I got to drive a big dump truck. That was fun, Right. I already knew how to drive straight shifts and all that, but this was a big dump truck. It was great. Got to run a front-end loader and some other equipment. That was great. But when you weren't driving the truck, this is for me because I was low man on the totem pole. When I wasn't driving the truck or at the pit, maybe on the front-end loader, at the clay pit, I had to catch bags. When you ship clay, you often ship it bulk, but more than bulk, you ship it in bags. Somebody's got to catch those bags and put them on a pallet. Now, those bags weigh 100 pounds apiece. Okay? And so what you do is you get a conveyor, they have a conveyor belt that runs from the plant all the way out. And when, you, when you're doing the, the pallet, stacking them on the pallets, all these are going on 18-wheelers. So you can't mess up the stack because they've got to travel across the United States and you can't have a stack of, you know, because it comes about chest high. It can't ride like that. You've got to keep it flat and, and even. But you have to, so you get it, there's two of you. Thank goodness there's two of you. But there's, and you can hear this in, in really these days, you started at five o'clock in the morning. And you could hear the machines start processing the clay and it had this click. It's a, it's a, you knew a bag was on its way. And then every eight seconds, no, every four seconds a bag dropped. You had to catch one every eight seconds and stack it. And we were doing it in a boxcar in the summer in North Alabama. I didn't like that job. 
And so you, it was depressing. I mean, even though I was young, I could handle it, but you could hear that thing click about 5.30 by the time we'd start catching bags. And that's what they'd call it, catching bags. You should have called it something else. But, so, but your thing would, and then you'd catch that bag, and when you grabbed it, the other thing you're thinking is, in eight more seconds, I've got to catch another one. So you've got to throw it on the pallet, catch that next bag. and it, Anyway, so that's the hardest job. That, that was a job. That was a, you earn your paycheck. And I can remember, because I was the office manager's son, and my mother had worked there forever. Matter of fact, she worked there for like 25 years. You know, and so, so on a Saturday, we only worked four days a week on Friday and Saturdays. If a truck showed up, they would have to call somebody in to load. Well, because my mommy, my mommy was the office manager, you know who she'd want to call first? She'd, when that phone would ring about 7, 8 o'clock on a Friday morning, I dreaded it. I'd answer. Of course, you didn't have caller ID or I wouldn't have answered it. And she, I remember one time, I don't know why I'm telling you this stuff, just tell you how weak I was, and she called me and and she must have had somebody in the office with her because she said, she said, son, I need you to come up here and catch some bags. I said, oh, mama, don't make me, don't make me come up there. Please don't. And, of course, she got paid big money to do it. And she, I could hear she got that phone. She must have turned in her chair. And she said, you get your rear end up. You get your rear end up here. And that's all she said. She clicked the phone down. So I, had, I couldn't talk back. It was over. I remember catching those bags. That was the hardest job. There's another job we have, and it is hard, and it's being workers in God's kingdom. You know, the Bible says, uh, I think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, people don't light a lamp, and we're the light of the world. You know, he's, this is the passage, it's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he calls us salt and light. He says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. You know, the song says, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. He says, no one lights a light. I think in those days, you know, if you light a, lit a lamp, this is the only light you have. You don't take it and hide it under a basket or a bushel basket. But he says, you put it on a stand so that everyone can, can see the light. Then he says, in the same way, let your good works, let the world see it. It would glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let the world see your good works. It ought to shock us or sober us when we know the Bible says that we are co-workers together with God. We are co-workers together with God. That God's work in this world is going to be done by folks like me and you. And if me and you aren't doing the work through the local church, He's either going to use somebody else or He's going to close the church. And how can people do the work? I'm just asking. How can people do the work if they've never come to church. How is it that we're absolutely, undeniably living in the last days 
and God's people do not fear God enough to show up at His church. I've been here a long time, and 23 years is a long time for any Southern Baptist pastor. And hopefully I haven't worn out my welcome, but I tell people it is like the third or fourth church I've served inside this building. It's just, it's, you know, it's, we're a family, so this family changes. And so it's different now than it was five years ago, and it was different five years before that, and different five or six years before that. But I, I perceive, maybe, maybe perception, observe, that we are, as a church, and it's, it's not, I'm not talking about another church, I'm talking about us, we are as apathetic as we've ever been. And there's a good spirit. Our, our people love one another. But we're about like I was when my mom would call me in on special days to do something extra. We've lost the fervor to do the work of Christ through the local church. We've lost it. I don't know if it's COVID, it's the devil. But folks, Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. And uh, I think about what John says, First John, you know, he says that, that, and I'm paraphrasing now, this is a, an Elmore paraphrase, but Elmore County paraphrase, he says, you know, you don't want to be living in such a way that when Christ raptures the church, you shrink back because you're embarrassed about how you're living or what you haven't been doing. But Jesus, you know, Jesus is coming. Um, and He's coming to rapture His church. I was telling my class this morning, I'm, um, I think stuff, I find stuff I've never thought before. I, and it's in the Bible, been there ever since I've been a believer and study. But here's something I learned this week. I never noticed this. And um, just think about how intimate this is, the... The Bible says, if, if you know, we talk about the church as several things. We're the body, we're a building, we're a sheepfold. I mean, there's all kind of metaphors. Uh, we're, we're the, he's the vine, we're the branches. All, but the one that's really intimate is we're called the bride of Christ, right? That, that we're the bride and we're, and you know, that's what John 14, 1 through 6 is about. We know, and as the bride, we're waiting on the bridegroom to come back and get us, Right? And, 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 and the Bible says, this is where the parable about the, the ten virgins having oil in their lamp. We want to be ready, right? Oil in our lamps. A little song we could sing. We're not going to sing it. But we'll have oil in your lamp. We want to be ready. We want to be full of the Spirit, serving the Lord Jesus when Christ comes for His bride and then takes His bride back. But one of the events of where we're getting to go, I mean, nobody can deny this. Even if your eschatology, even if you don't believe in a, pre-trib rapture of the church, you have to believe in the marriage supper of the Lamb because it's in there. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. But it says we're no longer His bride. It doesn't call us a bride. It says we're His wife. Isn't that awesome? So we're, we're the bride-to-be, but now we're, we're His wife. And it says the wife you know, is clothed in, in a white robe. I just found that to be very profound. That salvation is through Christ and we go from being a bride waiting for the return of our bridegroom to being His wife living in His presence and enjoying the blessings of our salvation. Back when David was king of Israel, 
uh, back in, this is in Samuel, I think, Second Samuel chapter 9. I just want to give you a little word picture here and then we'll move on in the text. Um, David was, he was ruling king, a uh, great, great empire for Israel. And uh, the kingdom wasn't divided, you know, so it's all together. And, and because Jonathan had been killed, he, uh, it says there in 2 Samuel 9 that David wanted to show mercy to anybody in Jonathan. You know, him and Jonathan were best friends, Jonathan and David. He wanted to show mercy to one, anybody that was related to Jonathan. And Jonathan had a son. Uh, and most people didn't know about him because this son was lame. Okay, This is really interesting. He was lame in both his feet, it says. His name was Mephibosheth. Okay, I'll get back to that in a minute. So what he says, he says to his servant, he said, can you find me somebody... In Jonathan's home, and Jonathan's family, because I want to show them mercy for Jonathan's sake. I love that, because the mercy for Christ's sake. You know. so, so they find this guy, and they come and they report, we have found a son. His name is Mephibosheth, and then they, then they say this, but he's lame in both his feet. And he lives in a town called Lodibar, Lodibar. So make a long story short, if you study those words, and again, I checked it this week to make sure I knew what I was talking about. Mephibosheth means empty or nobody. Okay, That was his name because he's lame. And so his name was Mephibosheth, nobody, or empty, or void. Lodibar means barren land or no place worth living. So, so... David, who's king, chooses somebody. And you know where he was going to bring him? He brought him to the king's table. And so this is what it says. He brought Mephibosheth, who was a nobody, from Lodibar, that was nowhere. And he, and he said, you will eat at the king's table forever. Every meal you'll eat at my table. So the king brought the man who was nobody from nowhere and let him eat at his table. Now, is that not salvation? You and I, let's be serious. About it. We're sin. We don't deserve salvation. Basically, we are empty people from nowhere. And King Jesus saves us and we will eat with Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, what a great story about salvation. And I love what David says. I want to do it. For Jonathan's sake. Well, God saves us because of Jesus' sake. He saves us because He wants to make us into Christ's image. If you have your Bible, I have you open to what I said, Philippians chapter 3. And uh, hold your finger there. Don't you love me to say that? Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 real quick. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hold your finger there at, at Philippians chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 10, and, and uh, this is what stirred me up this week about church attendance. And also that every week, I, almost every week, I study some kind of prophecy. And uh, I get fired up, even though I spent a year and about 14 months studying prophecy, and that was just a year ago. It, it stirs my soul because 
everything, it, it, it's pregnant with the truth that Christ is coming. He's coming for His church. And, and when the writer of Hebrews is writing, he mentions that, that, that this ought to be a motivation. So anyway, let, let me pick up at, um, let's just pick up at verse 19. Hebrews 10 Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, again, an incredible statement, because comparing that to the Old Testament, who could enter the Holy of Holies? Only one person could enter the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And what, of course, this is the book of Hebrews, so it's written to Jews who were saved or Jews that were leaning towards Christianity. And so he's, he uses the, the information about Judaism, but now rather than one person one time a year because of the blood of Christ, all by, everybody's saved and has access to the presence of God. Anyway, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the, through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, through the substitutionary death of Christ. We're going to celebrate that Wednesday night. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now that's security. That's authority. Now look what he says. Let us okay, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Talk about a righteous life. Thinking right and living right. Let us. Let us. Let us hold. So let us draw near. Number two, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now we're talking about theology and what we say. For he who promised is faithful. So let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So now we're in the body. Let us encourage one another and stir one to good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all and all the more. So we're going to be encouraging one another all the time, right? We have to be together. Don't neglect it. All the more, since you, it says, all the more as you see the day. Anytime you see an article like that, the day, the day drawing near, the day. Now, as I understand eschatology, the word eschatology means the study of end times. The day that you and I would be looking forward to is the day that Christ comes in the clouds, the trumpet sound, the voice of an archangel, and we are called up to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain, we call to meet the Lord in the air. That is the day I'm looking forward to. Let me remind you that even in Luke's Gospel, <clears throat> when, <clears throat> when Jesus is talking about last days, in Luke chapter 17, 
He uses Noah and he uses Lot as an example as it was, he says, as it was in the days of Noah. And then he goes on, verse later, uh, I think it's Luke 17, 26, and as it was in the days of Lot. He's using them as an illustration of the day. If you'll remember, Noah, all the preparation, they built the ark, however long it took them, a year, a little over a year, whatever it was. They got on the ark and that day God shut them up. So that day they were saved and and they were safe in that ark. And of course it rains, I think, several days later. It starts raining. rains for 40 days and 40 nights. So it was a day that Noah entered that ark. It wasn't the course of a week. It was a day. He went in the ark, God shut the door. And now it's time for the flood and they're saved. But they would not, God would not flood the world until His family was on that ark. I don't think God's going to bring judgment until we're in heaven with Him. Then He brings up Lot. Lot's even a more uh, picture, picture of the rapture because Lot and his, and his daughters, you know, and his wife first, you know, she tarries and turns into a pillar of salt. But the angels had to actually grab him and drag him, and they tell him, we cannot rain judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah until you were in your place. That's what they say. And then they get him to the place. And then immediately, or it's early in the morning, by the way, real early, so at least guests weren't visiting Sodom and Gomorrah, and get killed, you know, he, it rains fire on the day that as soon as Lot got to that city, it rained hell and brimstone. It is the day. And Christ is going to rapture His church soon after that. There's going to be a covenant made and that's going to begin what is known as in the Bible the seven years of tribulation. But what I want you to see here just briefly in Hebrews 10 is that the more we see the day approaching, and I'm honest, I can't stay away from it. The day is approaching. Do you realize that Israel is the only nation in the world that has been reborn? They've been reborn twice. They lost their identity, the Babylonian captivity, then the Persians and Medes. But then they got to go back and they restored, then they restored their nation. God planned that. But, but the, you know, around 500 A.D. they lost it, then they got it back. Then in 70 A.D. they lost it again. And they got it back in 1948. In one day, a nation was born. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. And it, it happened. May the 14th, 1948, Israel for the second time got their identity back. And do you know that when you're reading prophecy, you find out that Israel's right in the middle of it. So there has to be a, an, a real Israel with a real Jerusalem. The Jews have to be in the land for Christ to come back. Well, scholars knew that. And, and I'm telling you, you can read history and find out when the Jews, when, when Israel was restored to its national identity. By the way, and in those days, America was the first one to recognize them as a nation. I mean, they did it within hours. They had a prime minister and America recognized him as the prime minister of Israel. They were the first ones. We wouldn't be that way today, would we? So... So Israel became a nation. And when you read prophecy, you realize that Israel has to be in the land because there's a lot that goes on in Israel. As a matter of fact, the whole tribulation ultimately is to draw Israel to repentance. So they'll call on Christ to come save them too. And He does at the end of the tribulation. 
But thinking about the day, so not only was Israel born in the day, and, and, and all these things couldn't happen unless Israel was a nation, it's a nation. And Jesus said that the generation that sees that, read this in Matthew 24, the generation that sees that, I think He's talking about Israel becoming a nation, will be the nation that sees the rapture and the tribulation. You can put some math to that. I'm not giving you dates. Again, I'm not barking out dates. But here's what I want you to think about. And this is, I talked about this a year and a half ago. Now think with me. Psalms 90 says that a generation is 70, maybe 80. Right? That's what it says. 70 and maybe even stretched to 80. Well, you go to 1948 and add 70 years to it. We're just a few years away from that prophecy being fulfilled. Same generation. Do you know that there's a... uh, Let me me add something to that. I'm sorry. I'm chasing... Well, Diane tells me not to tell you when I'm chasing rabbits. But... So, but I, oops, forget what I just said. I'm not chasing a rabbit. Do you know that that in uh, that wormwood, there's a there's a, a asteroid in Revelation uh, nine. An asteroid falls. It's called wormwood, and and it's bitter, and it ruins the ocean waters, and then part of it hits the land masses, and it messes up all the fresh water sources on the earth. I mean, it's a mess. It's at, towards the end of the tribulation. But but that 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 asteroid uh, is called Wormwood. And do you know that right now, you can go study this, there is an asteroid that NASA, you can go to NASA's website and, or some of these other things and, and they'll show you that it's called the Apophis. It, it is an asteroid. And they're projecting it's going to be the closest asteroid to the surface of the earth in the history of the world. Some say it's going to hit the earth, okay? But if it does hit the earth, you know when it's going to hit? It's going to hit in, in uh, they say it's going to come by or hit the earth in, I'm sorry, in 2029. Matter of fact, April the 13th, 2029, seven years from now. And they say, even if it doesn't, I'm not trying to scare you. This is, this is right, I read NASA stuff this week again to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Even if it doesn't hit the earth, they say it may come so... And you know, it could, they could be off by 10,000 miles. But even if it doesn't, they're thinking it will destroy most of the satellites in, in, the, in, the, in the heavens because it's going to be so close and what it's going to do to the air... Ma- you know, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that the day, the day... It, how, about, how about UFOs? And UAPs, we call it unidentified aerial phenomenon. That's what they call it. Do you know our government tells you that UFOs are real? Do you know that? I mean, there's, there's these volumes of material they're producing. They say that UFOs, as in spaceships, are, they're for real. And they're saying that some of those spaceships, what do you want to call them? There's entities. All that is in our government records. They, they did this about a year ago. Matter of fact, they've had two big congressional meetings and talk about this public record now. Of course, they they call them aliens, whatever. But you and I know what they are. 
right? We're not scared. They're, they're demons, demonic or fallen angels, right? God, we, I know who they are and what they are, but, but they're, they're existing. I mean, the, the, it's for real. And some scholars believe it's going to be the UFO scam. They're going to explain away the rapture. I don't know if that's true or not. But I want you to know that these things that are supernatural, it's on the front page every day. Go home and just Google UFOs. Or, and I'm not, these aren't crazy people. We have government officials, people that have quit their job. But this one guy quit his job with the government because they weren't telling you enough about UFOs or UAPs is what they call them. So, they're very, so, so there's going to come a time when Christ is going to rapture the church Soon after that, there's going to be this covenant. But the day is when Christ comes and gets His church. This is not biblical again, but this is something that's just historical. But it's a thing called the prophecy. I'm giving you about how it can be the day. Prophecy of the popes. Do you know that a thousand years ago, uh, one of their saints, Saint Malachi, you don't care about his name, it was in 1100, like 1130 A.D., had a vision... And he, he recorded in his vision all the history of the, of the popes. Now, I don't believe in all this stuff all the time, but this is interesting. In his prophecy, when he saw in this vision, he, God spoke to him, and it could have been the devil, but somebody spoke to him and said there's going to be 112 popes. And he even gave them little words with each pope that, to identify that pope. And the pope that's our pope now, or their pope. There's 112 popes in his prophecy. Do you know what the pope number he is now? 112. And there are many Catholic theologians that believe he is the last pope. So what they're saying is, there may be no more Catholicism, or there may not be any other belief like this after this pope is disposed of. Just just thinking. So the day. Now, we'll go to... Go to uh, Philippians 3. I'm, I'm already out of time, but go to Philippians chapter 3. See, this is why Paul says, here's, here, here's, I say all that to say this. I'll read Philippians 3 and just, I'm going to start at verse 17. Uh, our men, we read this on Thursday night a little bit. But Paul says, I have fought the good fight. This is at the end of his life, uh, 2 Timothy 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he says, and there is laid up for me. Right? Because there's something beyond here. Remember what we read, the first verse I read earlier? Everything we see is transient. What is unseen is eternal. So Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I kept the faith. And then he says, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, the, the Stephanos, the, steph, the crown, the laurel wreath is laid up for me. Because he... So that's, that's the reason he says, I fought, I ran, and I kept it is because this is not where life ends. This is where life begins. There's a whole other world out there one day. And, and so there's going to be rewards. We must all, two places, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul mentions that twice in the book of Corinthians. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So we're all going to stand to give an account 
for our deeds done in obedience to Him. And that's why Paul says this crown of righteousness, he ran it, he fought it, and he kept the truth of the gospel because he knew he was going to meet Jesus face to face. And he will. He will the day we do. And of course, he died and is with him now. But one day, physically, we're all going to be resurrected. You know, it's just an amazing thing to think about. Let's go to Philippians 3. Let me read this and share just a couple things with you. Remember what Hebrews, Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, I always knew it out of New King James. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Folks, all of these truths are guaranteed because of what Christ has done. He's the author of salvation. He's the finisher of salvation. If the Bible, if Jesus said, if I go to prayer a place for you and then I'm going to come again and get you to myself, that's going to happen. He did come to this world. He did leave. And He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, it's just like a marriage, I will come get my bride. Because where I am, there you need to be also. We, we must believe that. And so the day, to me, the day is right around the corner. Listen to Paul's challenging the believers at Philippi. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Very pregnant with meaning there. Uh, mimic. Mimic together. It's two words put together. One is together, one is mimic. So he's telling those brothers at Philippi to follow him. Follow my example. Uh, is it Rich Little? Wasn't he a... a Rich Little, he was a comedian, right? Does that name ring a bell? Thank you so much. It helps him when you agree. I remember reading an article or something about him and he talked, because he could do, what is it when you, uh, he could mimic, impersonate all kind of people, presidents, anyway, he was great. A long time ago, make a long story short, he just said how he did it was he would just watch them over until their life became his. Well, we, we, sh- we can watch Paul, but more than that, we need to be looking at Jesus. And we need to know Him so well that we'll live like Him. That's, the Bible says that. That's what happens. If we want to be conformed, the more we look at Him and love Him, the more we'll be conformed into His image. But we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We just don't do that. So he says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So not only do you follow our example, but others that, that have this example. And I told the men Thursday night, that word is to strike an image, a permanent image. So all of us, when we're living our lives, we're leaving images of how people can live or should be able to live. And sometimes it's bad examples, but we're an example. We're a typos. Something that's a permanent strike that people can see the life of Christ. So, so people, the people we need to be loving and hanging around as far as spiritually is concerned are people that live like the Apostle Paul. That's, that's what he's saying. For many of whom I have told you, I often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So there's people you know that aren't... 
Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Folks, that'll keep you out of God's church. With minds set on earthly things. I would imagine that half of us in here have been thinking about other earthly things you need to do today rather than paying attention to the text. This is what wandering minds do. We have to hold, that's why Paul says, you need to hold every thought captive to, to obeying Jesus Christ. You, folks, the, the earth, mind set on earthly things. That's sad, isn't it? That's a struggle for all of us. He says, so they're with mind set on earthly things, but our... So he tells us why we shouldn't have to be consumed with the world. But our citizenship is in heaven. Honest to goodness, this, this is, and the truth of this is, because it's true, what should we want to talk about with one? When we come together in fellowship and we get together for church activities or just a fellowship, what, what do we want to talk about? Well, we might talk about you know, current events sometimes and talk politics or whatever, but the ultimate thing we should want to talk about is the Lord Jesus. Uh, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, folks, think about what that says. I, I'm not going to... I know it's obvious to you, but you don't sit and think sometimes exactly what it's... Your citizenship is in heaven. So where are you going to end up? Where? In heaven. So, so this is why the Bible teaches that we're aliens and strangers and we don't belong here. And so grabbing on to things here just doesn't make sense because we don't belong here. So, so being worldly, we, we should not get caught up in earthly things. Paul argues this to Timothy. He reminds Timothy, no good soldier gets entangled in the affairs of this life so that He can please the one that enlisted Him. So we're soldiers of Christ. When Christ calls on us, we shouldn't be attached to this world so much that we can't obey Him. So we set our minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And here's all that. But And from it, from heaven, we await a Savior. Amen? We await a Savior. Now Paul knows all theology, and it's what he doesn't say that tells us that what the Savior's coming to do for us is not the same thing he's going to do when he comes to deal with the world. He's going to come for us, and that event's called the rapturo, the rapture, There's another coming and He's going to come to the earth and that's called the second coming. So Paul says that we await a Savior. When He comes to earth the next time, He's not coming to save. He's coming to judge. We're waiting on... So our Savior's coming, but He's not judging, He's saving. So there's, there's an event in the air and there's an event on the earth. We go with Him when He comes in the air. 
Who will... Look what it says. Looking at your Bibles. This goes back... And listen, Paul's not talking eschatology necessarily, but, it, but it's part of the story. It's part of everything we think. So obeying Christ, being a mature Christian, ultimately what we need to be thinking about is we're going to meet Him. So he says, when we see Him, our Savior, the Lord who will metamorphose our lowly bodies? He will transform. That's not true. It's not the word morphos. It's the word schematic. That's what it is. He changes the very structure of being human. So he trans, he says, Paul says, who will transform our lowly body, and you know it's a lowly body, to be like his glorious body. Now, Paul, there's so many, he's, this is offhanded. This isn't an eschatology passage, but look what he just said that he's going to transform our lowly body. To be like His glorious body. What's another thing it tells us? That when we see Christ, what form is He going to be in? Human form. He is in human form right now. He's just in another dimension. And we're going to see Him and meet Him. This this Christ who saved us from our sins in this resurrected, glorified body. That's how we're going to see Him. And that's what all the rapture passages talk about. Meeting Him in the air and being with the Lord forever. That's what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, John 14, 1-6. All those talk about seeing Him. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. And then He tells us how He's going to do it. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This, the power that Christ, even right now the Bible says God has placed all authority into the hands of Christ. And it says he sustains everything right now by the, word of his, the power of his word. So that same power that controls everything is the same power. And it makes sense that's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So you are promised a resurrected body, but it's called a glorious body. A body that you have absolutely no idea how <clears throat> excuse me, how wonderful it's going to be. I know I'm way over time, but folks, this is God's word. We're his church. Give me one more minute. Do go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You know, I love that while you're looking up Hebrews 12, um, I love of what it says in um, Hebrews 12 that um, we will, when we see Him, we will be like Him uh, because we will see Him as He is. There's something about being able to... We have to be perfected in order to see the glorified Christ. One of my favorite passages is, is this and. Is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I've already quoted part of it. But I want to read it in its entirety. You'll hear a quote I've already shared. But I've got another one that I want to end with. I want you to just think about what the writer is saying to us. Therefore, since we are surrounded <clears throat> excuse me, by such a great cloud of witnesses, which you know is chapter 11, let us also 
You can go back and read all these champions of the faith. And, uh, and many of them died for their faith, okay? They gave up everything they had, whatever. Uh, Let us also lay aside every weight. Again, you know, athletes would, would train with a weight. They'd usually, if sprinters would run with a weight on their back, on their shoulder, in their arms, whatever. And then when the race, the real race came... They'd put the weight down. Gave them, you know, make them feel like they could run faster. Anyway, so we, and, and he says, the way, every weight and sin which clings so closely, and all of us have our own, you know, and let us run, and let us run, and let us run with endurance. Folks, the, the Word of God calls for us to run with endurance. You know, loving His church and being and not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, these are the things where, honest to goodness, if the church is gathered, I mean, think just theologically with me. If the church is gathered and the Bible says you're, if you're saved, you're a part of the body of Christ, and even when you were saved, the Bible says spiritually God baptized you into the body. So, into His glorious body. So, so if, the, if the church is gathered, do you know where you should be? If you can get there? How? You should be with the body. And, and, and doing it for one year and then becoming apathetic is not God's plan. It's a life of endurance. You know, we do these funerals and one just recently and you're talking about patriarchs and matriarchs that have run well, but they finished well. They're in their senior years and where are they? Every Sunday and Wednesday, they're in the body. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. And mine, ESV, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I finish with this next phrase. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who, here, here's the phrase. The writer says, Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now He sat down with the Father at His right hand. But for the joy set before before Him. Now folks, going to the cross and bearing, being the sin debt, paying sin debt, you know, He, in the Garden of Gethsemane, our men talked about, you know, He sweat, He burdened, wanting to be lifted to that, all that. But the Bible says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And go study the Garden of Gethsemane. He struggled. and This is where He sweat drops of blood and he asked the Lord, let this cup pass for me. We talked about that. Let this cup pass for me. We, we studied that last Wednesday night. If it your will, well, that's where the Son, the Son of God, His human will, He didn't want to go, you know, and so, but His divine will went. So, but not as my will, but your will, Father. And of course, then Jesus went there. But for the joy, what was the joy that was set before Him? Now, I'm going to give you one, and, and there's many. Jesus was going to, I know I'm way, going to the cross, what was the joy? The one, one that I think about, and we'll finish, is that there are going to be millions of people, billions, maybe even a billion or two, 
in heaven. And everybody, everybody there. Every aborted baby that's saved. Every child that's saved. Every special needs child. They'll probably, I don't know what age they're going to be at, but everybody there, here's the joy set for them. Everybody there is going to be there because of Him, but everybody there is going to be what? Going to be like Him. The joy set before Him. Folks, we have a joy set before us that the Bible says we're going to be trans, we're being transformed right now, but we're going to be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. That's a joy. And now, We're here. We need to be running the race with endurance. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed. Thank you so much. God's good, isn't He? We'll see you Wednesday night for the Lord's Supper at 6 o'clock. We'll probably have a little snack and then we'll do, do the elements and talk about the body and the blood. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're coming back. Thank you, Jesus, you're coming back to rule. Thank you, Jesus, that we're going to rule with you. Bless your church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great afternoon.